If you would please open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we will be picking back up where we left off last week. <clears throat> We're only going to, if you, anyone here forgot their Bibles, raise your hand and the usher will make sure you have a Bible in hand so you can follow along. We're going to take the first 13 verses of this chapter. It's titled, The Power of Grace. Paul continues his letter to the Corinthian believers. He has, uh, since chapter 10, been dealing with spiritual warfare in and around that church. <clears throat> He's been defending his apostolic uh, position not because he's looking out for his own self-esteem, not the fact that what was going on was keeping him up late at night because what would do people think about me? That wasn't the issue and the reason why Paul was doing what he was doing. But he has been addressing the false teachers, those Judaizers who were slithering in back into the church masquerade disguised as a solid believer but they were really coming into the church there in Corinth as disguised as apostles but are really were vessels as we saw in chapter 11 they were just vessels of Satan causing division and causing bondage the people to go back into bondage and to lead these Corinthian believers these Corinthian Christians back into worldliness and that was driving Paul crazy to sit there and to know that he started a, a new work in, in Corinth and to see these believers come to Christ and get out of the religion and get out of, uh, of these, the, 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 the law and to, to live based on under the new covenant of grace. And these Judaizers, these 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 false teachers coming in and saying, yes, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, but then you have to follow all these laws and allow the things of this world to come slithering back into the church and say it's okay to, to do the things that you normally would do. Oh, you're under grace, brother. You can live however you want to live like the world. That would drive me nuts. It drives me nuts when I watch and see People starting right in their relationship with Christ and leaving the old flesh behind, the old ways behind, the old religion behind, and follow Jesus Christ based on grace. And then to watch people just through books and teaching on the video and websites and stuff, and then just slowly hook them and bring them back into the things of the world. It drives me crazy. Why? Because like Paul, Paul loved these people so much. The last thing he wanted to see them do is go back to the old life, to go back to old religion, and not to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to Christ. And here in verse 1 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul starts off here in these first six verses, says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. 
such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So in the very first part of this chapter 12, we see Paul starts off with a key word, doubtless, or I am guaranteed, I am certain of what about I'm about to say to you. There is no doubt in my mind what I'm about to say to you, that it's not profitable for me. There is no benefit from me to boast about what God is doing in, in and through my life. It's not profitable for me. That's why I don't boast, Paul said in the previous chapter. I don't boast and go around and talk about all my experiences of what God is doing in my life and through my life to reach the people of this, this land. Because it doesn't profit anything. Because I don't want to draw attention to myself. I want all the, the, the praise and honor and attention to go on Jesus Christ alone. Because that is who gets all the glory and should get all the glory. Not me. I'm just nothing. I'm a vessel that's being used by God, and that is it. I was created in the womb of my mother just like you were. I came from the dust just like you. We came in the dust, we'll go back to the dust. I am nothing, but God is everything. And God, for some reason, has chosen to work through my life, but I profit nothing. But I want to tell you something, Paul says. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. See, one of the challenges that he had, Paul, is that these false teachers were saying, look at Paul. Look what he looks like. He's nothing here. Because these false teachers were walking in with the the polished look, had such the expressive and and oratorical skills of just bringing attention to themselves and had a presence on the stage and could walk that stage and draw people in and and with their words had such power to sway them to go and do what they wanted them to do. But as we learn in the scriptures, Paul didn't have the look. He was a short little Jewish guy. He had a problem with his looks. We don't know exactly, but he wasn't the most picturesque poster child of an apostle. But it didn't matter, did it? It doesn't matter what you look like or what your infirmities or what your disabilities are or what you Like Moses, I can't even speak. Paul even had the same problem. They were accusing him. Look at Paul is nothing. He can't even speak. Listen to him. These garbled words or whatever it may have been. But the false teacher said, but look at and listen to me. But the problem is, is people were listening to them. And they were drawing people back into the world or allowing the world to come into the church. That is no, that's no Gouda. That should not happen. We have to protect and make sure the things of this world do not creep back into the church. But you as the church go out into the world and share the truth. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who we have to go and introduce people to who Jesus is. That is what we are called to do. And so Paul was sitting here going, the other challenge you had is, what has Paul done for the Lord? What, what visions, what experiences, what revelation has Paul talked about? Is he really an apostle? Let me tell you about all the experiences and the revelations and visions that God has given me. And Paul says here in verse 1, okay, it's not profitable to me, but I'm going to tell you about the visions and revelations that God has given me. And he does this very unique, very subtle. He, you see in verse 2, he speaks in the third person because we know based on verse, uh, you know, when you get down here and a little bit farther into verse 7, we know that he is really speaking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ. I know a believer who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of, whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one, this man in Christ, this believer, was caught up to the third heaven. Now, he's speaking in the third person here. Why? Because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. I'm about to let you know that I did have a revelation. I did have a vision. God took me up into the third heaven. Remember, God, in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens, plural, and earth. There's, there's three heavens. The first one is what? The blue sky, the atmosphere where the birds fly. That's the first heaven. Then you have the starry sky, that is the, atmos the, um, the um, atmosphere, what's the word? Yeah, the universe. Out there, the stars, the plants, planets, the things you can see from a distance. That's the second heaven. But the third heaven is where God dwells. So God took Paul up and caught him up. He doesn't even know himself if he was in his body and took him up, taken up there or it was an out-of-body experience and he was taken up into heaven. But what happened when he was there? He only says to us what? That he heard inexpressible words which is not even lawful for a man to utter. So the question everyone asks and every great commentator out there who thinks they know what God, what he heard. But what does the scripture say? All it was told to us is that he heard inexpressible words. It doesn't say any details of exactly what he heard up there. But it was so, in, put him in such a position of awe and put him in a position of just silence because you couldn't even begin to try to describe what he saw in heaven. That's why we have to be very careful. And some of you may have received a vision from God. Some of you may have, have, have had a revelation from God. You may have even said, I know that I had an out-of-body experience and, and God showed me and, and spoke to me. And, such. and, and that's great. But keep in mind is how as we look at the scriptures as a totality, that do, look what Paul says here. 
He had this incredible experience, and it took 14 years for him to even bring it up and mention that he even had it. He didn't come out of that experience and say, where's the publisher? Let me write my book, and let me go on the speaking tours and make sure I can make money off of this revelation. Does it? It took him 14 years because God didn't ask him. It was for him to be seen and to hear what God was blessing him with, with that vision and with that revelation of the third heaven. And so when God brings, gives you a vision or gives you a revelation, it's for you. It's not for you to go on the speaking tour. It's not to create something new. We see a lot of false religions are created from that. That can't happen. Or sometimes people say, I had a vision or revelation of you, about you, and let me share with you what God has shown me. And that's fine. Listen to what they may have, but be very cautious of that, what they have for you. Because God, if God is going to speak to someone about you, then God is going to have already revealed that to you and it will be confirmed by the word. So be very careful of receiving and applying what people say to you through a vision or revelation. So we also see the fact that it, it not only for the 14 years and that even Paul himself didn't know he was in or out of the body when he had that experience. All he knows is God knows. And that was enough for him. He didn't have to dwell on it. He didn't have to seek after it. He just said, God, you know. All I know is that, that I can't even explain. I can't put. Words are unbelievable. <laughs> it's one of those things. How do you explain when you go to even something on this earth and you go and see something so beautiful or that sunset and you go, wow, look at that sunset. And you can't even put it in words to someone. You try. But the people go, Oh, okay, you know, they, they just cannot really, they're not there. They're, they can't see it. They can't, that's the way Paul is. It's unbelievable. But with that vision, what did it cause Paul to do? What changed his actions from that vision or revelation of the third heaven? We even see a little bit more in verse 4. He was caught up into paradise so paradise is another name in my bible it's a capital p to show it's in heaven it's a heavenly paradise don't listen to the false teaching that says paradise is somewhere on or in this earth or some special place where you're held your body is hold until the uh, rapture takes place. be very careful we know that paul was taken up into heaven the third heaven that which is paradise and he heard inexpressible words that he couldn't even begin, any man could even begin to try to utter what they saw. And he says in verse 5, Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. He says, yes, I could. Even he says the following verse, I might desire to want to boast about what God showed me. Oh man, it was incredible and I want to share it with everybody. But he says, but I won't because what I'm going to I boast about is my infirmities. See, he had no problem speaking in, in the first person in chapter 11. 
And if you looked at back down there, oh, I think it was somewhere around 26, where uh, 25, 26, somewhere in there, uh, in the beginning there. He was talking about how many times he was whipped five times, and in his stripes, 40 stripes minus one, and, and he had rods against him, and he you was know, shipwrecked, and, and he was found deep in the waters and, and lost in perils of waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own country and perils of gentiles. You get the point here. He had no problem talking about what he had to endure for the sake of Christ. But when it came to something so powerful as being brought into paradise and here, something so hard to put in words, he says, I am not going to boast about that and draw attention to myself for that. Interesting. But that drew him, in verse 6, not my desire to boast. That didn't draw him to his actions to boast because I would be a fool, he said, if I did that. But it drove him to speak the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He spoke the truth of the word of God. The, the prophets, the, the, the things of the, the Old Testament, he would have been sharing at that time the truth of God. Everywhere he went. It would not close his mouth. He could no longer just walk around and see people going to hell and not know and have a personal relationship with Jesus and say nothing because they didn't want any conflict or any persecution or any challenges with their relationships with his family or friends or, or, or co-worker, whatever it may be. It did not close his mouth. It opened it up and it caused him to tell the truth wherever he went. Because if you know the truth, if you were taken into heaven and you heard things that were indescribable, how could that cause you to sit and do nothing with your faith? It wouldn't. It shouldn't. It should rise you up and be more bold because you know the truth. And that's what Paul did. Now the question is, what drove Paul? Well, we're going to see this in verse 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Woo! There we now know why. Paul kept it really like when it came to this revelation because we see here if he had spoken out of what he saw and tried to go out there and tell everyone how God used him and gave this incredible experience he knew I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of that revelations and how was he kept how were the boundaries placed? How was he kept in order? We see it right here. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A thorn. Immediately we think of this little splinter. You were walking on the deck barefoot, having a great time in the summer, and you get the little splinter, and you go, ah! and you scream out, for your wife, help me, help me. And she comes and takes out that little splinter. 
No, no, no. The original Greek language here for thorn is a massive stake, a tent stake, an 18-inch massive stake that they used to nail down and keep that Bedouin tent in place through the desert, high desert storms. That kind of stake. Not a little tiny sliver, but a stake. So God, so God allowed a huge thorn to be placed in bodily to Paul to keep him at bay. But you notice in the scripture, though, not only was it a thorn in the flesh was given, it was a gift. The infirmity that he is going through, which and we don't know what that is, as we will see, the pain and the agony and the problems physically. Now, some commentators will say, oh, he had mental issues, and he was, oh, that, that, that's what plagued him. That was his thorn. Or it was, it was sinful thoughts and, 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 and lust that would just seem to flood back in his life. Some commentators try to take it that direction. Some say it was an eye problem when he got blinded, when he got saved, and, and he brought his sight back, and it was continuous weeping and sad and just junk coming out of his eye. Some believed it was pure, something physical, like malaria in that part of, the, of, of, of uh, Israel. There's a malaria that would raise up and cause some major problems. It doesn't say, does it, what it is. And so because it doesn't say, tell us what it is, we just know that it was painful because we know that me, I see the word back, I think in verse 9 as we get to it, he uses the word infirmities, which is refers to bodily pain. So I don't, me personally, don't, I have, I've narrowed my thoughts of what that is. But I think here, as we will look at this, I think God purposely doesn't allow Paul to tell us what that infirmity is because he wants all of us to understand that it relates to all of us. Whatever your infirmity, whatever challenge you are physically, mentally, or spiritually going through, the scripture applies to you. We see it. Look at what happened. This is what goes crazy here. Who gave him that thorn? But a messenger of Satan. To buffet him. God, I can picture it now. Here is a man that God was using mightily in the, the Gentile world. He, God blesses him and takes him up and reveals a vision, a revelation into the third heaven. And is so incredible he can't even speak about it. And here's Satan going, let me at him. Let me at that man because I, he cannot be used by you, God. And there is no way, so let me at him. But remember, as a child of God, nothing can touch your life unless it's been father-filtered first. You may think the flu bug has complete control over your life. But God has allowed it for good in your life. It's hard to get your head around that. Think about Paul. And Satan 
was given and was used and allowed God allowed them to come in and to inflict that infirmity upon his life. Look at Job. Everyone, if you've read the book of Job, God allowed to have his family taken away, his physical, his livelihood, everything to take, take away. But do you believe that God, who loves you, knows what's best to how to deal with you? Because Paul understood it, because he says, I know if I did not have that. Look at that in verse, verse 8. Paul knows how to deal with pride. Paul knows how to deal with pride in someone's life because he says, I should be exalted above measure. That's, a, that's pride. That's, that's thinking and be exalted above measure because of the fact that you all oh, look at what God has done in my life. And pride can come in. It's in everybody. And so how did God deal with it? He's in verse, uh, verse 8, Paul says, Concerning this thing, concerning this thorn in my flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He passionately cried out, God, please take this infirmity, this sickness, this whatever it is that everyone obviously can see. It was very obvious. And he says, God, please take it away. I don't want to be sick any longer. I don't want to have this eye problem. I don't want, whatever it may be, he asked God through prayer. And it didn't go away. So he went back again and he asked God, please, take this out of my life. And God didn't answer his prayer. He asked a third time. In the original Greek language, it really, those words could really mean the fact that he was praying without ceasing that we see in 1 Thessalonians. He continuously prayed for God to relieve him of this pain. And God did give him an answer, but it wasn't what he was asking for. He gave him a thorn in his flesh to deal with the pride and he said he needed to keep that thorn there. Why? To keep his pride at bay. To keep him from being exalted. To be tempted to have that look. To have that voice of command. To have the ability to share to everyone all the things that God is doing through his life but it kept it humble and when you're humble and when you're weak is when God becomes strong in your life the power of grace in your life becomes noticeable because people look and say Ooh, you, you, God is doing incredible things in your life, and it's not because of your looks and because of the words you use, but it's just purely God working through your life because you have nothing for you to be able to even boast about. That's how God, his ways are not our ways. 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. The way God does things in our lives, we may say, God, how could this have ever happened? But even God can allow Satan's, in this case, a messenger of, of Satan, to actually come in and be used to bring you a bit. And it happens even today, my brothers and sisters. You could have something in your life that is not pleasing of God, and he can send a messenger, a boss, in your life to refine you. And you say to God, please take that boss away from me. And that boss may move on. But then all of a sudden, God allows another boss as bad or worse to come into your life. To continue to deal with the, cha- the issues you have in your life. And you can pray, God, how could you have brought this boss, a worse boss? I want the other boss back. You know, that was a good boss. You know, I, I'm sorry I should have never complained, you know. <laughs> uh, I wimped over the fact that I had a thorn in my, hand, my finger, and now I have pneumonia. Man, I'll take the thorn any day compared to the pneumonia. But God can use a messenger or someone in your life, and you are and I am not to look and pray to get rid of it, but Lord, what are you going to use that person or that situation to actually refine me, to change me? What am I to learn through this boss? Through this challenge, this physical challenge, or this mental challenge, or this spiritual challenge. What am I to learn, Lord? Because I want to change. I want to learn the lesson because I don't want to have to learn again. And as a parent, you know this, right? Son, you need to learn a lesson. If you don't learn it, guess what happens? We're going to go right back and you're, it's going to learn it again, but it's going to even be more harsher in the next time around could be much more painful you're better off humbling thyself and learning and growing and in your form of in this form of paul find himself in a physical weakness mental weakness spiritual weakness why Physically, he was weakened because of the infirmity we know that a thorn in the flesh caused him to physically be weak we know spiritually because he, he knew that it was satanic attack. It was a satanic messenger bringing this thorn into his life. Mentally, it was a challenge. Because he wanted to do great things for God. He wanted to be free to go out and do these things for God. And mentally, it was really messing with him. But look at this, and I love this. This is where God comes in and answers. Finally, after seeking after God, please, please, please take this away from me. Please, please take this away from me. Please, please. Pleading. And then God finally gives him an answer. And what is it? Not the answer he wanted, but it was the answer he needed. And God, in verse 9, and if your Bible should have red letters right here, meaning these are not Paul's words. Now, these red words are not more spiritual than the black words here. All of God's word is, in, is, is from God. So Paul literally gives us word for word what Jesus said to him. And what did Jesus say to Paul when he pleaded out for, for, to be relieved of this thorn in the flesh? 
And he, Jesus, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My, capital M, Jesus, God Almighty, I am involved in your life in this situation. This thorn in your flesh, I am still in control. I have allowed it. And I'm going to use this because I know you better than you know yourself. It's me that's doing it. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your neighbor. It's not a past relationship. It is not anybody else because we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness of this world. And I have allowed because I know the things that I'm going to do in and through your life, if I do not do what I need to do, pride will be your fall. God knows what's best. He says, it's my grace it's his grace, his unmerited favor. That is who, that is who I am. That is, I'm giving myself to you. You're asking for a thorn to be relieved, and I'm saying, I want you to have more of me. I want you to be so filled with me. There's no question in your daily life who's in control. Am I your Lord or am I not your Lord? My grace is sufficient. It's not my grace was great in the past and got you through it. And you look back and go, wow, God's grace. Look at that. He brought me through it. Praise the Lord. People can do that easily because you're looking back. You can sit there, oh, God's grace, oh, the future looks so great. He's coming back for us. And you can be all rosy and, and smiley about the future. But God's word says, my grace is now present with you. Can you glory in him through your thorn in your flesh that you're experiencing today? Oh, do you think I'm there? I'm not there yet. <laughs> oh, I, I read this and I study this all week going, God, I'm not there yet. That I'm trusting in the fact that your grace is sufficient for me through my infirmities, the persecutions, the health issues, the uncertainties, the pressures. My grace is sufficient. It's sufficient to deal with your sickness. His grace is sufficient to deal with that boss. His grace is sufficient to deal with the challenges that are happening in your families today. It is sufficient to overcome the addictions that you're dealing with. It's a sufficient in the fact that he's sufficient enough to deal with anything that is going on in your mental, your spiritual, your physical environment that you're dealing with 
I love the word sufficient. It's like the saying where you have someone come up and say, it's like a little fish swimming in Lake Ontario. And the fish says, is there enough water for me? Is it sufficient enough for me, the little fish would say. Or is there a risk of me drinking it all up? Of course not. The Lake Ontario has plenty of water for that fish. You're dying of thirst. You wake your way through and there you are sitting at the edge of Lake Ontario. And you say, is that enough water? Is that sufficient enough water for me to drink in and to survive? Of course it is. You couldn't drink all that water the rest of your life. It's way more than you. But that's what it is. God is saying, my grace is sufficient. Of course it's sufficient. He's the creator of the universe. The universe stays together by the span of his hand. He created you in the womb of your mother. He's all, he knows all things. He sees all things. He's all present, all powerful. Of course he's sufficient for you and your life. Do you believe it? That's the question. God is not in question here today. It's only your belief and who you put your trust in. That's what Paul had to come. That is what Paul had to hear. My grace is sufficient for you. Yes, you. This wasn't just for Paul. This was for you and for me. So whatever challenge you find yourself in, his grace is sufficient for you. Put your trust, your complete trust, your life in his hands and watch what he will do. For my strength, him, the power of the universe, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you are so weak and God still lifts you up and does mighty things through your life, God is honored and glorified. Because everyone will look and say, it got to be God that's done that. There is no other way that could have happened except God doing that. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to die of self and let him live through us so we are strengthened? Because if you're weak today and you are blown out and you're mentally just scrambled and you're spiritually not even sure what's happening to you and physically you're in pain and suffering, allow that weak point you're finding yourself to come to Christ and allow him to strengthen you. You must die of self. And when you die of self, his strength is what takes that addiction away. You're not going to be able to get rid of it. His strength is what's going to get you up the next day and allow you to continue to breathe in and out and move forward to do what God's called you to do. If you think you're strong, just wait. It's only a matter of time you're going to go down. The pride, you're going to fall. If you think you're in control of your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's only a matter of time you will be corrected. 
God is not sitting here. Paul is saying, I'm going, I, I just don't like you, Paul. And you, 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 I'm just going to give you a thorn. That's not how God looks and sees. He says, Paul, I love you so much. I know it's going to take a thorn to keep you looking for me daily and moment by moment, day by day. And so Paul, how did he respond at the end of verse 9? Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That is a godly response. Therefore, because your grace is sufficient for me in this situation, and because your strength is going to become my strength because of who you are, then I gladly am willing to go through day by day, moment by moment, with this thorn in my flesh. I gladly do it. I don't sit there and complain about it. I don't sit there and blame everybody else for it. I say, God, you are my Lord. And you're my strength, my protector. Because you are perfect. And the fact that through my infirmities, the power of Christ, the power of the Messiah, may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. <laughs> you take pleasure in your infirmities today? <laughs> and last week? Also in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. You went through these needs you went through these persecutions. You went through these challenges, these infirmities, physical, whatever they may be, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So complaining isn't going to help you. Shifting blame is not going to help you. But recognizing through these challenges, whatever you're facing, Paul says... I therefore take pleasure in these infirmities because I know God is going to get glory and honor because he is, when I am weak, he is strong. People are going to see him in my life. And it will draw people to Christ. Is that not what we want to have in our lives? Don't you want people to see your life and be drawn to Christ? Because of what he's doing in and through you. Because you give him all the honor and glory. You do not boast of anything. In verse 11. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been com commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. Though I am nothing. 
Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. So we see this last section here that Paul says, I became a fool in boasting. I didn't want to talk about these things, about what God took me up into the third heaven. I didn't want to talk about these things that God was doing through my life, even through all these challenges. You didn't even, even know half of them. But I, came up, I, I was willing to do this because I needed you as believers in Corinth to trust me when I tell you that God is, has made me an apostle and gave me a calling in my life and to go do the things I'm doing. And he's even saying, you, you've compelled me to have to do this. I shouldn't have had to do this. Why? He says there, for I ought to have been commended by you. You as believers know my life. You're the one who should have been telling people, oh, Apostle Paul, you won't believe when he showed up in town here. And he was so bold with the truth and he was sharing the gospel. You should see what he's gone through and the, the challenges, the persecutions for his faith. They should have been speaking about him. Paul shouldn't have to be speaking about himself. They're the ones that should be commending. Oh, we're so thankful for God sending this man in our lives and, and bringing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got saved because he introduced us to who Jesus was. The Messiah. The one who gives eternal life who took me off the path of going to hell and put me on the eternal path of life with Jesus the rest of my life, for eternity. God used that man in my life. And I praise Jesus for him. They should have been saying that. Paul shouldn't have been able to have to say any of this. Because he says, in nothing was I behind any and the apostle. I, there's nothing that I lack that these other apostles are talking about. They're boasting. I didn't boast. But the, everything they're boasting, I already did and done more. But he says, though I am nothing, at the end of verse 11. Paul knew he was nothing. He was empty. He had died to himself so that Jesus Christ would reign in his life. And that's all people would see is Christ in him. The light. The true light. Not the false light that the apostles, these false teachers, these, these Judaizers, they were false apostles. These were false teachers used by Satan to become light. Like they were some, something, something spiritual. And he says in verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle, the signs that you saw in me as an apostle were accomplished among you. You saw what God did through my life. You saw the perseverance. You saw the signs and the wonders and the mighty deeds that God was doing through my life. You of all people saw this. Why were you deceived by these false teachers? And allowed them to turn your heart away from me. And turned your heart back to the world. Why? For what is it 
in which you were inferior to other churches. You could look at your church. You could see how great the church was and growing and believers and they were thriving and there were unity and there was love and there was, there was a focus on Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. Everything was going great. Why did you allow these false teachers to come in and sway you back to the world? And then he kind of gives a little sass, a little sarcasm at the very end. Except that the only thing I can think of is something I already talked about early in the letter here. I myself was not a burdensome to you. <laughs> you get the, the sass? You allowed these false teachers to come in, these Judaizers, to ch change your heart away from Christ and put it onto the world and, and religion, and, and they've become a burden for you. I wasn't a burden to you. I did, right there, forgive me this wrong if I didn't take that tithe and use that for myself, or that offering and use it for myself, or that gift and use it for myself. Oh, forgive me of that wrong if that's what caused you to go follow these other men. Because everything else is, is you, your church, the church far exceeded any other church. But the only difference between me and these other churches is I didn't ask for any money. I didn't come in here to look to get money from you for to keep my livelihood together. I didn't come in you and, and teach you the word day in and day out and week after week and month after month so I could get my name in the lights and write my books or have a bunch of followers. And so Paul just subtly says, Forgive me this wrong. That's what caused you to go back to the world and follow these false teachers. Forgive me this wrong. But Paul is really kind of, really putting it out to them. There's power. There's power in his grace. There's not power in the law. There's power in the grace of Jesus Christ. Come to him this day. Receive the power. Be strengthened in your infirmities that you find yourself in. 